Pistol Politics by Robert Howard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Pistol Politics by Robert Howard. Politics and book learning is bad enough took separate. Together, they're a blight and a curse. Take Yeller Dog, for a instance, a mining camp over in the Apache River country, where I was rash enough to take up my abode in Onst. Yeller Dog was a decent camp, till politics reared its head in our midst, and education come slitherin' after. The whiskey was good, and middlin' cheap. The poker and faro games was honest, if you watched the dealers closed. Three or four piddlin' fights a night was the usual run, and a man hadn't been shot dead in more than a week by my reckoning. Then, like my Aunt Tascosa Polk would say, come the deluge. It all begun when Forty Rod Harrigan moved his gambling outfit over to Alderville and left our one frame building vacant and Gooseneck Wilkerson got the idea of turning it into a city hall. Then he said we ought to have a mayor to go with it, and announced himself as candidate. Naturally, Bull Hawkins, our other leading citizen, come out again him. The election was sought for April 11. Gooseneck established his campaign headquarters in the Silver Saddle Saloon, and Bull taken up his'n in the red tomahawk on t'other side of the street. First thing we knowed, Yeller Dog was in the grip of politics. The campaign got under way, and the casualties was mounting daily, as public interest become more and more fatally aroused, and on the afternoon of the ninth, Gooseneck come into his headquarters and says, We got to make a sweepin' offensive, boys. Bull Hawkins is out generalin' us. That shootin' match he put on for a prime beef steer yesterday made a big hit with a common herd. He's trying to convince Yeller Dog that if elected, he'd provide the camp with more high-class amusement than I could. Breck Elkins, will you pause in your guzzlin' and listen here a minute? As chief of this here political organization, I demand your attention. I hear you, I says. I was to the match, and they barred me on a technicality. Otherwise, I would have won the whole steer. It weren't so exciting far as I could see. Only one man got shot. And he was one of my voters, scowled Gooseneck. But we got to outshine Bull's efforts to seduce the mob. He's resorting to low, underhanded tactics by buying votes outright. I scorn such measures. Anyway, I've bought all I'm able to pay for. We've got to put on a show which outdazzles his darn shooting match. A rodeo, maybe, suggested Neil McGrath. Or a good dogfight. Nah, nah, says Gooseneck. My show will be a symbol of progress and culture. We stages a spelling match tomorrow night in the city hall. Next morning, when the polls opens, the voters'll still be so dazzled by the grandeur of our entertainment 
They'll elect me by a vast majority. How many men in this here camp can spell good enough to get into a spelling bee? says I. I'm confident they's at least thirty-five men in this camp which can read and write, says Gooseneck. That's plenty. But we gotta find somebody to give out the words. It wouldn't look right for me. It'd be beneath my official dignity. Who's educated enough for the job? I am, says Jerry Brennan and Bill Garrison simultaneous. Then they showed their teeth at each other. They weren't friends, nohow. Can't but one get the job, asserted Gooseneck. I test your ability. Can either one of you spell Constantinople? K-O-N, begun Garrison, and Brennan burst into a loud and mocking guffaw and said something pointed about ignoramuses. You deleted expletive says Garrison bloodthirstily. Gentlemen, squawked Gooseneck, and then ducked as they both went for their guns. They cleared leather about the same time. When the smoke oozed away, Gooseneck crawled out from under the roulette table and cussed fervently. Two more reliable voters gone to glory, he raged. Breckenridge, why didn't you stop em? T'warn't none of my business, says I, reaching for another drink cause a stray bullet had knocked my glass out of my hand. Hey, I addressed the barkeep sternly. I see you fixin' to chalk up that there spilt drink agin me. Charge it to Jerry Brennan. He spilt it. Dead men pays no bills, complained the bartender. Seize them petty squabbles, snarled Gooseneck. You argies over a glass of liquor when I've just lost two good votes. Drag em out, boys he ordered the other members of the organization, which was emergent from behind the bar and the whiskey barrels, where they took refuge when the shooting started. Damn, says Gooseneck with bitterness. This here is a deadly lick to my campaign. I not only loses two more votes, but them was the best educated men in camp outside of me. Now who we gonna get to conduct the spelling match? Anybody which can read can do it, says Lobo Harrison, a hoss thief with a mean face and an ingrown disposition. He'd go a mile out of his way just to kick a dog. Even Elkins there could do it. Yeah, if they was anything to read from, snorted Gooseneck. But they ain't a line of writin' in camp except on whiskey bottles. We got to have a man with a lot of long words in his head. Breckenridge, damn it, just cause I told the barkeep to charge your drinks on the campaign expenses ain't no reason for you to freeze onto that bar permanent. Ride over to Alderville and get us an educated man. How'll he know whether he's educated or not, sneered Lobo, which seemed to dislike me passionately, for some reason or another. Make him spell Constantinople, says Gooseneck. He can't go over there says Soapy Jackson. The folks has threatened to lynch him for crippling their sheriff. I didn't cripple their fool sheriff, I says indignantly. He crippled himself, falling through a wagon wheel when I give him a kind of push with a rock. How you spell that there Constance Hopel word? 
Well, he spelled it thirty or forty times till I had it memorized. So I rode over to Alderville. When I rode into town, the folks looked at me coldly and bunched up and whispered amongst themselves. But I paid no attention to them. I never seen the deputy sheriff, unless that was him I seen climbing a white oak tree as I hove in sight. I went into the White Eagle saloon and drank me a dram and says to the barkeep, Who's the best educated man in Alderville? Says he, Snake River Murgatroyd, which deals Maudie over to the elite amusement palace. So I went over there, and just as I went through the door, I happened to remember that Snake River had swore he was going to shoot me on sight next time he seen me, on account of some trouble we'd had over a card game. But such things is too trivial to bother about. I went up to where he was settin' dealin' Monty, and I says, Hey, Place your bet, says he. Then he looked up and said, You, expletive deleted, and retched for his gun. But I got mine out first and shoved the muzzle under his nose. Bell, Constantinople, I tells him. He turned pale and said, Are you crazy? Bellet, I roared. And he says, C-O-N-S-T-A-N-T-I-N-O-P-L-E. What the hell? Good, I said throwing his gun in the corner out of temptation's way. We want you to come over to Yeller Dog and give out words at a spelling match. Everybody in the place was holding their breath. Snake River moved his hands nervous-like and knocked a jack of diamonds off onto the floor. He stooped like he was going to pick it up, but instead he jerked a buoy out of his boot and tried to stab me in the belly. Well, much as I would have enjoyed shooting him, I noted spiled a spelling match, so merely taking the knife away from him and held him upside down to shake out whatever other weapons he might have hid, and he began to holler, Help! Murder! Elkins is killing me! It's a yeller dog plot! Somebody howled, and the next instant the air was full of beer mugs and cuspidors. Some of them spittoons was quite heavy, and when one missed me and went bong on Snake River's head, he curled up like a angleworm which has been tromped on. Look at there, they hollered, like it was my fault. He's trying to kill Snake River. Get him, boys. They then fell on me with billiard sticks and chair legs in a way which has made me suspicious of Alderville's hospitality ever since. Argument being useless, I tucked Snake River under my left arm and started knocking them fool critters right and left with my right fist, and I reckon that was how the bar got wrecked. I never seen a bar a man's head would go through easier than that, and so pretty soon the survivors abandoned the fray and run out of the door hollering, Help! Murder! Rise up, citizens! Yeller dog is at our throats! Rise and defend your homes and loved ones! You would have thought the Apaches was burning the town the way folks was hollering and running for their guns and shooting at me as I clumb aboard Captain Kidd and headed for Yeller Dog. I left the main road and headed through the brush for an old trail I knowed about because I seen a whole army of men getting on their hosses to lick out after me. And while I knowed they couldn't catch Captain Kidd, I was afeard they might hit Snake River with a stray bullet if they got within range. The brush was pretty thick, and I reckon it was the branches slapping him in the face which brung him to. 
because all to once he begun holler and blue murder. You ain't taking me to Yeller Dog, he yelled. You're taking me out in the hills to murder me. Help! Help! Ah, shut up, I snorted. This here's a shortcut. You can't get across Apache River unless you follow the road to the bridge, says he. I can too, I says. We'll go across on the footbridge. With that, he gave a scream of horror and a convulsive wrench, which tore himself clean out of his shirt, which I was holding on to. Next thing I knowed, all I had in my hand was an empty shirt, and he was on the ground and scuttling through the bushes. I'd taken in after him, but he was pretty tricky dodging around stumps and trees, and I'd begun to believe I was going to have to shoot him in the hind leg to catch him when he made the mistake of trying to climb a tree. I rode up onto him before he could get out of wretch, and wretched up and got him by the leg and pulled him down, and his language was painful to hear. It was his own fault he slipped out of my hand, he kicked so violent. I didn't go to drop him on his head, but just as I was retching down for him I heard hosses running, and looked up and here come that dern Alderville posse busting through the brush right on to me. I'd lost so much time chasing Snake River they'd catched up with me. So I scooped him up and hung him over my saddle horn, because he was out cold, and headed for Apache River. Captain Kidd drawed away from them hosses like they was hobbled, so they weren't scarcely in pistol range of us when we busted out on the east bank. The river was up, just a foaming and a bilin', and the footbridge warn't nothing only just a log. But Captain Kidd's sure-footed as a billy goat. We started across it, and everything went all right till we got about the middle of it, and then Snake River come to and seen the water booming along under us. He lost his head and began to struggle and kick and holler, and his spurs scratched Captain Kidd's hide. That made Captain Kidd mad, and he turned his head and tried to bite my leg, cause he always blames me for everything that happens, and he lost his balance and fell off. That would have been all right, too, because as we hit the water I got hold of Captain Kidd's tail with one hand and Snake River's undershirt with the other, and Captain Kidd hit out for the west bank. These very few streams he can't swim, flood or not. But just as we was nearly across, the posse appeared on the hind bank and started shooting at me, and they was apparently in some doubt as to which head in the water was me, because some of them shot at Snake River too, just to make sure. He opened his mouth to holler at em and got it full of water, and dern near strangled. Then all to onst, somebody in the brash on the west shore opened up with a Winchester, and one of the posse hollered, Look out, boys, it's a trap. Elkins has led us into an ambush. They turned round and high-tailed it for Alderville. Well, what with the shooting and a gullet full of water, Snake River was having a regular fit, and he kicked and thrashed, so he kicked himself clean out of his undershirt, and just as my feet hit bottom, he slipped out of my grip and went whirling off downstream. I jumped out on land, ignoring the hearty kick Captain Kidd planted in my midriff, and grabbed my lariat off my saddle. Gooseneck Wilkerson come prancing out of the brash, waving a Winchester and yelling, 
Don't let him drown, dang you. My whole campaign depends on that spelling bee. Do something. I run along the bank and made a throw and looped Snake River round the ears. It warn't a very good catch, but the best I could do under the circumstances, and skin'll always grow back onto a man's ears. I hauled him out of the river, and it was plumb ungrateful for him to accuse me later of dragging him over them sharp rocks on purpose. I like to know how he figured I could rope him out of a patchy river without skinning him up a little. He'd swallowed so much water he was nigh at his last gasp. Gooseneck rolled him onto his belly and jumped up and down on his back with both feet to get the water out. Gooseneck said that was artificial respiration, but from the way Snake River hollered, I don't believe it done him much good. Anyway, he choked up several gallons of water. When he was able to threaten our lives betwixt cusswords, Gooseneck says, Get him on your hoss and let's get started. Mine run off when the shooting started. I just suspected you'd be pursued by them dumb wits and would take the shortcut. That's why I come to meet you. Come on, we got to get Snake River some medical attention. In his present state, he ain't in no shape to conduct no spelling match. Snake River was too groggy to set in the saddle, so he hung him across it like a cowhide over a fence and started out me leading Captain Kidd. It makes Captain Kidd very mad to have anybody but me on his back, so we hadn't went more than a mile when he wrenched around and sawed his teeth in the seat of Snake River's pants. Snake River had been groaning very weak and dismal and commanding us to stop and let him down so's he could utter his last words, but when Captain Kidd bit him, he let out a remarkable strong yell and bust into language unfit for a dying man. Expletive deleted, quoth he passionately. Why have I got to be butchered for a yeller dog holiday? We was reasoning with him when old man Jake Hansen hove out of the bushes. Old Jake had a cabin a hundred yards back from the trail. He was about the width of a barn door, and his whiskers was marvelous to behold. "'What's this ungodly noise about?' he demanded. "'Who's getting murdered?' "'I am,' says Snake River fiercely. "'I'm being sacrificed to the passions of the brutal mob.' "'You shut up,' said Gooseneck severely. "'Jake, this is the gent we've consented to let conduct the spelling match.' "'Well, well,' says Jake, interested. "'A educated man, eh? "'Why, he don't look no different from us folks if the blood were wiped off of him. Say, listen, boys, bring him over to my cabin. I'll dress his wounds and feed him and take care of him and get him to the city hall tomorrow night in time for the spelling match. In the meantime, he can teach my daughter Salome her letters. I refuse to tutor a dirty-faced cub began Snake River when he seen a face peeking eagerly at us from the trees. Who's that? he demanded. My daughter Salome, said old Jake. Nineteen her last birthday, and can't neither read nor write. None of my folks ever could, far back as family history goes, 
but I want her to get some education. It's a human obligation, says Snake River. I'll do it. So we left him at Jake's cabin, propped up on a bunk with Salome, feeding him spoon victuals and whiskey, and me and Gooseneck headed for Yellow Dog, which weren't hardly a mile from there. Gooseneck says to me, We won't say nothing about Snake River being at Jake's shack. Bull Hawkins is sweet on Salome, and he's so darn jealous-minded it makes him mad for another man to even stop there to say hello to the folks. We don't want nothing to interfere with our show. You act like you got a lot of confidence in it, I says. I banks on it heavy, says he. It's a symbol of civilization. Well, just as we come into town, we met Mule McGrath with fire in his eye and corn juice on his breath. Gooseneck, listen, says he. I just got wind of a plot of Hawkins and Jack Clanton to get a lot of our voters so drunk election day they won't be able to get to the polls. Let's call off the spelling match and go over the red tomahawk and clean out that rat nest. Nah, says Gooseneck. We promise the mob a show and we keeps our word. Don't worry, I'll think of a way to circumvent the heathen. Mule headed back for the silver saddle, shaking his head, and Gooseneck sought down on the edge of a hoss trough and thunk deeply. I'd begun to think he'd drapped off to sleep when he riz up and said, Breck, get hold of Soapy Jackson and tell him to sneak out of camp and stay hid till the morning of the eleventh. Then he's to ride in just before the polls open and spread the news that they has been a big gold strike over in Wild Ross Gulch. A lot of fellers'll stampede for there without waiting to vote. Meanwhile, you'll have circulated amongst the men you know are gonna vote for me and let em know we are gonna work this campaign strategy. With all my men in camp, and most of bulls head for Wild Ross Gulch, right and justice triumphs, and I win. So I went and found Soapy and told him what Gooseneck said, and on the strength of it, he immediately headed for the silver saddle and began guzzling on campaign credit. I felt it was my duty to go along with him and see he didn't get so full he forgot what he was supposed to do and we was putting down the sixth dram apiece when in come Jack MacDonald, Jim Leary, and Tarantula Allison, all Hawkins' men. Soapy focused his wandering eyes on em and says, uh, Who's this here cluttering up the scenery? Why don't you mavericks stay over to the Red Tomahawk where you belong? It's a free country, asserted Jack MacDonald. What about this here dern spelling match Goosenecks bragging about all over town? Well, what about it, I demanded, hitching my harness forward. The political foe don't live, which can beard a Elkins in his lair. We demands to know who conducts it, stated Leary. At least half the men in camp eligible to compete is in our crowd. We demands fair play. We're bringing in a cultured gent from another town, I says coldly. Who? demanded Allison. 
"'None of your dang business,' trumpeted Soapy, which gets delusions of valor when he's full of liquor. "'As a champion of progress and civic pride, I challenges the skunk-odored forces of corrupt politics and bam!' MacDonald swung with a billiard ball and Soapy kissed the sawdust. Now look what you done, I says peevishly. If you coyotes can't act like gents, you'll oblige me by getting the hell out of here. If you don't like our company, suppose you tries to put us out, they challenged. So when I've finished my drink, I've taken their weapons away from them and throwed them head first out the side door. How was I to know somebody had just put up a new cast-iron hitching rack out there? Their friends carried them over to the red tomahawk to sew up their sculps, and I went back into the silver saddle to see if Soapy had come to yet. Just as I reached the door, he come weaving out, muttering in his whiskers and waving his six-shooter. Do you remember what all I told you? I demanded. Some of it, he goggled, with his glassy eyes wobbling in all directions. Well, get going then, I urged, and helped him up onto his hoss. He left town at full speed, with both feet out of the stirrups and both arms around the hoss's neck. Drink is a curse and a delusion, I told the barkeep in disgust. Look at that sickening example and take warning. Give me a bottle of rye. Well, Gooseneck done a good job of advertising the show. By the middle of the next afternoon, men was pouring into town from claims all up and down the creek. Half an hour before the match was sought to begin, the hall was full. The benches was moved back from the front part, leaving a space clear all the way across the hall. They had been a lot of argument about who was to compete and who was to choose sides, but when it was finally settled, as satisfactory as anything ever was settled in Yeller Dog, they was twenty men to compete, and Lobo Harrison and Jack Clanton was to choose up. By a peculiar coincidence, half of that twenty men was goosenecks, and half was bulls, so naturally Lobo chose his pals and Clanton choosed his'n. I don't like this, Gooseneck whispered to me. I'd rather they'd been mixed up. This is beginning to look like a contest between my gang and bulls. If they win, it's going to make me look cheap. Where the hell is Snake River? I ain't seen him, I said. You ought to have made em take off their guns. Shucks, says he. What could possibly stir up trouble at such a lady-like affair as a spellin' bee? Dang it, where is Snake River? Old Jake said he'd get him here on time. Hey, Gooseneck, yelled Bull Hawkins from where he sought amongst his cohorts. Why don't you start the show? Bull was a big, broad-shouldered hombre with black mustaches like a walrus. The crowd began to holler and cuss and stomp their feet, and this pleased Bull very much. Keep em amused, hissed Gooseneck. I'll go look for Snake River. He snuck out a side door and I riz up and addressed the throng. 
"'Gents,' I said, "'be patient. "'They is a slight delay, but it won't be long. "'Meantime, I'll be glad to entertain you all "'to the best of my ability. "'Would you like to hear me sing Barbary Allen?' "'No, by grab!' they answered in one beller. "'Why, you're going to!' I roared, infuriated by this callous lack of the finer feelings. I will now sing, I says, drawing my forty-fives, and I blows the brains out of the first coyote which tries to interrupt me. I then sung my song without interference, and when I was through I bowed and waited for the applause. But all I heard was Lobo Harrison saying, Imagine what the poor wolves on Bear Creek has to put up with. This cut me to the quick, but before I could make a suitable reply, Gooseneck slid in, breathing heavy. I can't find Snake River, he hissed, but the barkeep give me a book he found somewheres. Most of the leaves is tore out, but there's plenty left. I've marked some of the longest words, Breck. You can read good enough to give em out. You got to. If we don't start the show right away, this mob'll wreck the place. You're the only man not in the match which can even read a little outside of me and Bull. It wouldn't look right for me to do it, and I sure ain't going to let Bull run my show. I knew I was licked. Ah, well, all right, I said. I might have knew I'd be the goat. Give me the book. Here it is, he said. The Adventures of a French Countess. Turn sure you don't give out no words except them I marked. Hey, bawled Jack Clanton, we're getting tired standing up here. Open the ball. All right, I says. We commences. Hey, says Bill, nobody told us Elkins was going to conduct the ceremony. We was told a cultured gent from out of town was to do it. Well... I says irritably, Bear Creek is my home range, and I reckon I'm as cultured as any snake hunter here. If anybody thinks he's better qualified than me, step up whilst I stomp his ears off. Nobody volunteered. So I says, all right, I tosses a dollar to see who gets the first word. It fell for Harrison's gang, so I looked in the book at the first word marked, and it was a gal's name, Catherine, I says. Nobody said nothing. Catherine, I roared, glaring at Lobo Harrison. What you looking at me for, he demanded. I don't know no gal by that name. Expletive deleted, I says with passion. That's the word I give out. Spell it, damn it. Oh, says he. All right. K-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-N. That's wrong, I says. What you mean wrong, he roared. That's right. Tain't according to the book, I says. Dang the book, says he. I know my rights and I ain't to be euchred by no ignorant grizzly from Bear Creek. Who you call an ignorant, I demanded, stung. Set down, you spelled it wrong. 
You lie, he howled and went for his gun, but I fired first. When the smoke cleared away, I seen everybody was on their feet preparing for to stampede, such as weren't trying to crawl under the benches. So I said, set down, everybody. They ain't nothing to get excited about. The spelling match continues, and I'll shoot the first scoundrel which tries to leave the hall before the entertainment's over. Gooseneck hissed fiercely at me. Damn it, be careful who you shoot, can't you? That was another one of my voters. Drag him out, I commanded, wiping off some blood where a slug had notched my ear. The spelling match is ready to commence again. There was a kind of tension in the air, men shuffling their feet and twisting their mustaches and hitching their gun belts. But I give no heed. I now approach the other side with my hand on my pistol and says to Clanton, Can you spell Catherine? C-A-T-H-A-R-I-N-E, says he. Right, by golly, I says, consulting the French countess, and the audience cheered wildly and shot off their pistols into the roof. Hey, says Bill Stark on the other side, that's wrong. Make him sit down, it spells with a K. He spelt it just like it is in the book, I says. Look for yourself. I don't give a damn, he yelled, rudely knocking the French countess out of my hand. It's a misprint. It spells with a K or there'll be more blood on the floor. He spelt it wrong, and if he don't set down, I shoots him down. I'm running this show, I bellered, beginning to get mad. You gotta shoot me before you shoots anybody else. With pleasure, snarled he and went for his gun. Well, I hit him on the jaw with my fist, and he went to sleep amongst a wreckage of busted benches. Gooseneck jumped up with a maddened shriek. Dang your soul, Breckenridge, he squalled. Quit cancelling my votes. Who are you working for, me or Hawkins? Ha, ha, ha. Ballard to Hawkins. Go on with the show. This is the funniest thing I ever seen. Wham! The door crashed open and in pranced old Jake Hansen, waving a shotgun. Welcome to the festivities, Jake, I greeted him. Where's you son of a skunk? quoth he, and let go at me with both barrels. The shot scattered remarkable. I didn't get more than five or six of them, and the rest distributed freely amongst the crowd. You ought to a heard em holler. The folks, I mean, not the buckshot. What in tarnation are you doing? shrieked Gooseneck. Where's Snake River? Gone, howled old Jake. Run off. Eloped with my daughter. Bull Hawkins riz with a howl of anguish convulsively clutching his whiskers. Salome, he bellered, eloped with a cussed gambolier they brung over from Alderville, bleated old Jake, doing a war dance in his passion. Elkins and Wilkerson persuaded me to take that snake into my bosom. In spite of my pleas and protests, they forced him into my peaceful, expletive-deleted household, 
and he stole the poor mutton-headed innocence blasted art with his cultured airs and his slick talk they've run off to get married it's a political plot shrieked hawkins going for his gun wilkerson done it a purpose i shot the gun out of his hand but jack clanton crashed a bench down on gooseneck's head and gooseneck kissed the floor clanton come down on top of him out cold as mule mcgrath swung with a pistol butt and the next instant somebody lammed mule with a brick bat and he flopped down against clanton and then the fight was on them rival political factions just kind of riz up and rolled together in a wave of profanity gun smoke and splintering benches i have always noticed that the best thing to do in such cases is to keep your temper and that's what i did for some time in spite of the efforts of nine or ten wild-eyed hawkenites i didn't even shoot one of em i kept my head and battered their skulls with a joist i tore out of the floor and when i knocked em down i didn't stomp on em hardly any but they kept coming and jack macdonald was obsessed with the notion that he could ride me to the floor by jumping up a straddle of my neck so he done it and having discovered his idea was a hallucination he got a fistful of my hair with his left and started beating me in the head with his pistol barrel it was very annoying simultaneous several other misfits got hold of my legs trying to wrestle me down and some son of belial stomped severely on my toe i had bore my afflictions as patient as job up to that time but this perfidy maddened me i give a roar which loosened the shingles on the roof and kicked the toe stomper in the belly with such fury that he curled up on the floor with a holler groan and taken no more interest in the proceedings i likewise busted my timber on somebody's skull and wrenched up and pulled jack macdonald off my neck like pulling a tick off a bull's hide and have him through a convenient winder he's a liar when he says i aimed him deliberate at that rain barrel i didn't even know they was a rain barrel till i heard his head crash through the staves i then shook nine or ten idgets loose from my shoulders and shook the blood out of my eyes and perceived that gooseneck's men was getting the worst of it particularly includin gooseneck hisself so i give another roar and prepared to wade through them fool hawkenites like a bar through a pack of hound dogs when i discovered that some perfidious sidewinder had got my spur tangled in his whiskers i stooped to untangle myself just as a charge of buckshot ripped through the air where my head had been an instant before three or four critters was rushing me with bowie knives so i give a wrench and tore loose by main force how could i help it if most of the whiskers come loose too i grabbed me a bench to use for a club and i mowed the whole first rank down with one swipe and then as i drawed back for another lick 
I heard somebody yelling above the melee. Gold! he shrieked. Everybody stopped like they was frozen their tracks. Even Bull Hawkins shook the blood out of his eyes and glared up from where he was kneeling on Gooseneck's wishbone with one hand in Gooseneck's hair and a buoy in the other. Everybody quit fighting everybody else and looked at the door. And there was Soapy Jackson, a reeling and a weaving with an empty bottle in one hand and hollering, Big gold strike in wild hoss gulch, he blats. Biggest the West ever seen. Nuggets the size of ostrich eggs. Oh. He disappeared in a wave of frenzied humanity as Yeller Dog's population abandoned the fray and headed for the wide open spaces. Even Hawkins ceased his efforts to sculpt Gooseneck alive and jined the stampede. They tore the whole front out of the city hall in their flight, and even them which had been knocked stiff come to at the howl of gold and staggered wildly after the mob, shrieking pitifully for their picks, shovels, and jackasses. When the dust had settled and the thunder of boot heels had faded in the distance, the only human left in the city hall was me and Gooseneck and Soapy Jackson which riz unsteadily with the prince of hobnails all over his homely face. They sure trompled him free and generous in their rush. Gooseneck staggered up, glared wildly about him, and went into convulsions. At first he couldn't talk at all. He just frothed at the mouth. When he found speech, his language was shocking. What you spring at this time of night for? he howled. Breckenridge, I said to tell him to bring the news in the morning, not tonight. I did tell him that, I says. Oh, so that was what I couldn't remember, says Soapy. That lick MacDonald give me so plumb addled my brains. I knowed there was something I forgot but couldn't remember what it was. Oh, solo mio, gibbered Gooseneck, or words to that effect. Well, what you kicking about, I demanded, peevishly, having just discovered that somebody'd stabbed me in the hind leg during the melee. My boot was full of blood, and they was brand new boots. It worked, didn't it? I says. They're all headed for Wild Hoss Gulch, including Hawkins hisself and they can't possibly get back a four day after tomorrow. Yeah, raved Gooseneck. They're all gone, including my gang. The damn camp's empty. How can I get elected with nobody here to hold the election and nobody to vote? Oh, I says, that's right. I hadn't thunk of that. He fixed me with an awful eye. Did you says he in a blood-curdling voice. Did you tell my voters Soapy was going to enact a political strategy? By golly, I said, you know it plumb slipped my mind. Ain't that a joke on me? Get out of my life, says Gooseneck, drawing his gun. 
That was a genteel way for him to act, trying to shoot me after all I'd done for him. I'd taken his gun away from him as gentle as I knowed how, and it was his own fault he got his arm broke. But to hear him rave, you would have thought he considered I was to blame for his misfortunes or something. I was so darn disgusted, I clum on to Captain Kidd and shaken the dust of that there camp off of my boots, cause I seen they was no gratitude in Yeller Dog. I likewise seen I wasn't cut out for the skullduggery of politics. I had me a notion one time that I'd make a sheriff, but I learnt my lesson. It's like my pap says, I reckon. All the law a man needs, says he, is a gun tucked into his pants. And the main learning he needs is to know which end of that gun the bullet comes out of. What's good enough for pap, gents, is good enough for me. End of Pistol Politics